Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on April 11, 2018, focusing on state and local implications of the newly enacted international tax reform provisions. The panelists for the webcast were Rob Offman, Barb Coulter, and Ken Lee, all PwC tax partners in our state and local tax practice, and Elizabeth Nelson, a managing director focusing on international tax issues. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists focusing on the state and local implications relating to the new FDII and BEAT provisions. Take a listen. So moving on to FDII, um, Liz, this one, unlike guilty, is really simple, right? <laughs> As you can tell by the amount of boxes on the slide. No. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's simple in concept in that you're supposed to come up with a foreign-derived intangible income amount, and then you calculate a 37.5% deduction based off that amount. There's obviously a lot involved in coming up with that amount, um, and, and it's generated a lot of acronyms, which we've put on a fo the following slide for your reference. Um, but in concept, you're starting with gross income of domestic corporation, <clears throat> And that's deduction-eligible income. So it is excluding certain amounts like guilty, subpart F, and some other items. That's your deduction-eligible income. To that, you're allocating expenses. And so you're coming up with a deduction-eligible income amount that's a net number. And then you're subtracting for the deduction-eligible income a, a, a deemed tangible income return which is they use, they borrow the QBI concept out of guilty, multiply that by 10%, so it's kind of the same return, and reduce your deduction eligible income by that amount. Here, though, it's a detriment, right, because you're, you're reducing the amount of income that you're using to calculate a deduction, whereas in guilty, you're actually reducing your inclusion amount. And so it's a detriment here. The deduction eligible income, um, once it's, you've uh, deducted the deemed tangible income return, you have deemed intangible income, and then from that, you're taking the percentage of that, essentially, that is foreign-derived deduction-eligible income, um, which gets you to foreign-derived intangible income. <laughs> so not complicated. There's a lot of formulas. Um, <laughs> a lot of math. But to come up with the foreign-derived deduction-eligible income, which is to, gets you essentially to your foreign-derived intangible income, you have to look at income that's derived in connection with the sale of property that's sold and for use outside the U.S., and so it's sold for a foreign use, which the statute just defines that as use, consumption, and disposition, which is not within the U.S. So there's a lot of questions about what is foreign use, or income derived from services provided to a person outside the U.S. So that gets you your foreign-derived intangible income, and then off of that you calculate your deduction. 37.5% percent. 37.5%. Right. And you know, we've referred to this in other contexts, Elizabeth, but I don't think it's clear whether or not this computation is done once at the consolidated level or for each individual domestic corporation that uh, that derives foreign uh, foreign deduction. That's a fair. Income, yeah. That's fair. I and mean, it may be that guidance comes out and says you can compute it on a consolidated basis, but it's not totally clear at this point. Right. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't have any. I don't know any companies that are really chopping at the bit to do this computation more than once. Yes. Uh, <laughs> everybody's uh, hoping for a, a consolidated answer there. I, I think it is clear that on the state side, however, there's very little basis to do this computation once. So whatever guidance we get on the mm -hmm. uh, at the federal level, um, I'm personally skeptical that we'll get. 
um, we'll get a similar we'll get a similar level of relief uh, in all states um, certainly. But that sort of brings us back to a practical question, doesn't it? Uh, there's certainly the right answer. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a reasoned answer. Uh, and I think you have to take everything into account. Is this for your provision, tax reporting, for internal planning or reporting? Is it for diligence, something else? Um, but I think the only wrong answer here is to is the surprise answer, right? The, the answer that we didn't expect. And um, I think as it relates to doing this computation on an entity by entity basis versus once on the consolidated basis, I come back to just don't be surprised um, as, as the takeaway. Uh, moving on from there, a couple of the other uh, things that we see on the state side, um, certainly in terms of the representation in the, in the sales factor. You know, foreign sales, I've generally liked them in the sales factor, right? They tend to be dilutive. They reduce my sales factor in all jurisdictions. Um, but there's also a concept that non-taxable transactions, non-taxable assets don't belong in the uh, apportionment factor calculation are then, are then these sales that are used to compute the mm -hmm. FDII uh, deduction um, to the extent I'm in a conforming state, are those then excludable from my sales factor, right? That could be a problem for me if I have to exclude those sales or even 37.5% of those sales. Um, don't like that answer necessarily on the state side. Um, we again have this idea of the de deductions uh, and the properly allocable deductions to FDII. Does that give our states a roadmap to disallow uh, the deduction of some portion of those expenses? You know, we've, we're used to states coming in and disallowing uh, deductions in relation, you know, some percentage of uh, DRD or something like that. Could they extend that now to FDII? And, you know, have we given a roadmap to, to identify those? And certainly as it relates to any sort of uh, restructurings or, mm -hmm. or modifications to the, the supply chain, um, to enhance your FDII or, or fully take advantage of the FDII, I mean, there are certainly state implications there that should be considered sales factor, separate entity versus combined. Attribute utilization is something that we haven't really brought up a lot in this webcast, but certainly something that uh, crops up in a number of these situations. And there's a lot of taxpayers looking at restructuring their operations so they can take advantage of the lower effective rate. And that's why it's there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is when you combine it with a guilty, you have both provisions in this one code section and how it all intertwines, mm -hmm. right? You got to think about both. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're covering that at the end in terms of the interaction because <laughs> that, that gets complicated as well. Uh, so moving on to the next slide. Um, you mentioned QBI, Elizabeth. Yes. It, it's a detrimental thing in the FDII calculation. Yes. And I think what we wanted to mention here in terms of the state impact of that, um, you know, there are state incentive mechanisms, right, that would take these assets off the books kind of right through some sort of financing or leasing mechanism. And maybe that doesn't necessarily uh, change where you're going uh, to uh, negotiate with governments, et cetera, but maybe it changes the wish list that you go in with, right? Maybe instead of a particular ITC or property tax abatement, maybe we are looking, maybe that does move the needle to more of these incentive uh, incentive arrangements that, that are also out there that, that uh, we've seen states um, and, and local jurisdictions um, have some affinity for. Um, the Section 250 exception, do you want to just touch on that briefly? So there is um, there are exceptions to what is considered to be uh, FDII, and one of them is for basically round-tripping of services. So if you have a service income that's for a U.S. domestic corporation providing services to a foreign person, but that foreign company, let's say, turning around and providing those same services to um, persons within the U.S., 
then that income is excluded from FDII essentially. And so taxpayers are looking at separating out those contracts so that we can continue to have that income uh, included in the deduction eligible income base essentially. That's right, and that's a great example of a situation where uh, taxpayers are reacting mm -hmm. to um, TC and JA in a way that affects states. So in this example, um, you know, what we've done is isolate a contract where we've potentially got a foreign affiliate providing services in the U.S. and subjecting it potentially to state taxation on an economic nexus basis. Uh, you know, you uh, couple that with market sourcing and the, the idea that states don't necessarily apply uh, treaty protections, right? Uh, lower nexus threshold, if you will. Um, and, you know, states aren't necessarily limited to U.S. ECI either. Um, that is, they use formulary apportionment in lieu of the arm's length standard to, to determine the income base. So I, you couple all those things and this one sort of change of changing the contracting terms may highlight uh, some of those situations where we've got risk that's already perhaps in our structure, but uh, perhaps becoming more apparent um, with the change. And then just a, a mention about the distribution models and some of the things that we're seeing there. Yeah, so because of the, you know, favorable effective rate, I think, especially for inbound companies that are looking at maybe moving distribution to the U.S. so they can generate more FDII that would be subject to this lower effective rate. And so they're changing their operational models to do that. Right. And then the, just the very simple state add-on here. Um, you know, when we're talking about preferential rates, I think it's important to keep the state rate in into account or take the state rate into account there as well. Um, and it can certainly, you know, any changes in the distribution model can certainly affect apportionment. Again, um, filing, uh, the filing group, et cetera, 80, 20 implications and the like. Um, so important to remember the state impacts there as well. And then just to close out on FDII, uh, I like this slide because it tends to compare all the things that we've been dealing with on the state side in terms of sales factor and sourcing with, you know, what is a foreign use, uh, sold to a foreign person for a foreign use. Um, and I certainly think that there are a lot of similarities there. I think it's important to understand what the differences are as well as we continue on with those analyses. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, the examples in the bottom left, that's kind of a, a, a short list of all of the different situations where we've been challenged by the sales sourcing rules in terms of trying to figure out what is market sourcing, what is the use of an intangible, where is the benefit of the service being received. And I think all of those questions uh, inform the analysis in terms of foreign use um, in the FDI calculation. And so I do think that some of those things are a bit of a roadmap uh, in terms of uh, where that analysis can go. And I certainly think there's a synergy there. And then the last thing I'll note is that even if the answers are different because the rules are somewhat different around foreign use versus sales factor sourcing, um, you know, there are commonalities in data sources. There are commonalities in terms of, you know, the sales registers and the contracts that are look like, the, the specific terms within the contracts that are uh, useful in terms of determining the sales factor sourcement, uh, apportionment will also be useful in terms of determining foreign derived deduction eligible income. And the one point that you made that's really important, though, is that as you're going through this analysis federally to look at the foreign source, there's an opportunity for the state side to team up with you on the apportionment piece of it as well, right? Really look at the sourcing and leverage the data, as you noted, in the right-hand side. Yeah, look, the data, the analyses, the contracts, you know, all those terms that are relevant to the sales factor sourcing, I think, could be put to use here as well. Well, and I think it's important to note, too, that foreign and domestic source for FTC purposes is not, is, could be totally different for... FDII. You have to be careful when we're saying the word source, yes. don't we? Yeah, it's a very <laughs> different thing. Yeah, that's right. Rob, 
Uh, I think we're going to move into Beat next. We are. Why are we talking about Beat in a state <laughs> tax uh, webcast? Well, because if we're talking about guilty and we're talking about FDII, we should at least mention Beat a little bit. And there's an implication, <laughs> and we'll talk about this as we're closing it out, that these things all are interconnected to one degree or another. And uh, even though states haven't necessarily adopted the Beat, right, it's important for us to understand what they're thinking about over on the international and the mm -hmm. federal side because mm -hmm. what they do will impact us. So with that, Elizabeth is going to talk a little bit about how the beat calculation works, and then we'll cover the beat just in summary. And more boxes. So <laughs> <laughs> we want to make these uh, computations the as, ones, yeah. as, calculated, as complicated as possible. So beat is a, is a minimum tax, and so the, the overall concept is, of it is if your beat uh, liability exceeds your regular tax liability, you're going to have additional tax. Um, so to calculate your beat liability, you have a modified taxable income amount that you're calculating um, that you then assess your tax rate on of 10%. So you're starting out with regular taxable income, but then you're adding back um, basically the tax benefit of, uh, of base erosion payments. So the deduction related to base erosion payments, which are essentially payments to foreign persons and some other depreciation amortization deductions for property purchased from foreign persons. You're also adding back a percentage of NOL carry forward to the extent you're offsetting your regular tax liability by an NOL carry forward. And that essentially gets you to modified taxable income for BEAT purposes. And from that, um, or to that, you're then applying a 10% rate, and then you're subtracting from that your regular tax liability, which has been reduced by um, credits, like FTCs, um, although not all credits. Um, to come up with whether or not you have a beat liability. What's kind of interesting is that in the calculation they say, hey, determine if you're subject to beat on an aggregate basis, mm -hmm. right? But the beat calculation today, at least as written, separate company. Right. So we kind of have this kind of half, hey, the whole group, see if you're subject $500 million, right? Or 3% is the test right. on an aggregate basis. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually doing the calculation, still a separate entity approach. Yes, correct. And so with the slide related to beat, what we're trying to show here is the balancing act taxpayers are going to be going through, right? And that they're looking at the regular liability and the things that are impacting their regular tax liability and how that can also come into play related to the beat liability. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth, some of what we talked about is when thinking about the regular liability, perhaps uh, organizations are looking at taking full expensing of bonus depreciation, mm -hmm. right? And that that could impact the regular liability and drive it down. That same number goes into the beat calculation. Right? And why it becomes important is not because it's an add back per se for that one issue, mm -hmm. but it becomes important because the overall taxable income you're comparing it to is lower for both. And therefore, base erosion payments probably become a higher percentage mm -hmm. as part of the overall piece. One thing that we had also talked about as well was related to guilty. Yes. Right? And there's a guilty component of this. Mm -hmm. Do you have a comment or two maybe related to guilty? Well, there's a lot of uh, focus being put on expense apportionment for FTC purposes so we can maximize our guilty credits, so we can use all the guilty credits we have. And to the extent we use more guilty credits, we have less regular tax liability, which means we are then at risk for beat. Um, so there is a balancing act between that because as you focus on one provision, it may have an on effect on another provision. Yep. And so really the thing for state and local uh, practitioners out in this area is, is that we need to understand the levers that you're going to pull, mm -hmm. right? If you're looking to drive down the guilty component of it, how does that impact us if you're really driving it through credits and how that it really impacts the beat? And really then again, understanding the base components as well. And the other thing I, uh, that we talked about uh, with your planning is we're looking at maybe like unbundling transactions, mm -hmm. right? Bundled transactions can be a problem, if I remember correctly, potentially subject to the beat. Mm -hmm. So you may change the way that transactions are across the organization so that they aren't beat eligible. Right. 
And so similar to what Ken had talked about related to um, the FDII piece, our real role in this is to understand what's happening on the international perspective, if we're changing the supply chain, mm -hmm. if we're changing what's happening with the bundle transaction, how does that impact the way that we've historically sourced, right? Is that gonna change our apportionment on the historic method? And it's really, with knowledge comes power, right? And don't so, be surprised. Don't be surprised. <laughs> yes. And right, and connect up into your international group to understand what's going on. And that's really kind of the high level related to be. As we mentioned, states haven't adopted it yet. It's really, how is it impacting us overall? Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.